If you would make your way to Exodus chapter 40, our final Exodus lesson, you've born with this, although it doesn't matter to you really where the text is, as long as there's something truth, right? I, I love it when Matt leads. He, he, he'll throw in one I've never heard before, that Lord Take My Life was one beautiful song. Those expressions were exactly what the sermon was about. I don't know how he does that. Well, I mean, I told him what the sermon was about, but but to find a song like that, I don't know how you do that. That's just amazing, and I'm grateful for the talents of uh, the men around that, that can do that kind of thing. I want to remind those young professionals that we will be doing some drive-by caroling this week, and we're going to have a good time together. We're going to hit some hot chocolate along the way, and then uh, as we wrap it up, we're going to eat together and, and uh, just bring yourself and your voice, and I'll have the words, and you provide the the song, and we're going to drive by and randomly victimize people with carols. So that's always going to be that's going to be a great time. And I, I, I want to tell you, but next Sunday night we're not meeting in here. We're going to meet in the fellowship room in just chairs, and we're going to uh, sing and honor the 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 what, what what some would call the Christmas story. It's not really. It's the story of the birth of Christ is how we're going to call it, and we're going to sing it, and we're also going to uh, talk about and apply it to our lives, and it's going to be in that fellowship room all together, so just come and be ready to sing together next Sunday night. And if you're one who says we shouldn't be doing that, this is your one night a year you can stay home. I, I, I don't know, Exodus 40, Exodus 40. We've witnessed this, if you, if, if you have a lot of Valley View members on your feed of Facebook. You've seen this in recent months. Uh, they post the updates on the house they're building or maybe the house they're moving to. Uh, I saw this with the dials and I've got to see the end result. They built this amazing house. You ought to see it sometime. Call before you come, they say. But, but they build their house and, and, and it just goes up piece by piece by piece and you hear about it and you know that they're doing it. But then you see it, uh, the Facebook pictures, and, and they move into their house, and it's move-in day, and they're all excited, and it's exhausting, but it's so rewarding. And, and right now, the Goldens are doing the same thing. You can tell she really wants to move in bad. She's hoping on Christmas Day to be in there, but certainly by the end of the year, the Goldens going to be in their new home. And you see the, uh, the walls going up, and you see the brick on it, and you see this uh, it just slowly but surely takes shape. And then you know one day they're going to start moving their stuff in there. Or if you're just moving from one house to another, you find the right house that fits you and suits you. And you bide your time and you do all the stuff that it takes to buy it. And then you wait on the people who, need, who have the skills where they can meet you there and take care of the things that are needed for it. And finally, you get to take up residence and it's move-in day. And the boxes later on will be cleared, but at least they're all in one place. That is the feeling of Exodus chapter 40. After all the preparations and all the talk and, and all the anticipation, it's move-in day. They've made the preparations that God wanted them to. The promises made long time ago were finally being realized, at least in some extent, in this tabernacle. The anticipation of God living with them. The delays that took place that almost jeopardized the whole thing. And the work that they had to do to bring it about. Meticulous skills. And finally the day arrives and God moves in. The whole thing's been taking place in Exodus. Chapter 3, God, is, God introduces himself to Moses. Chapter 4, Moses introduces God to the people. 
The chapters that follow that, God does these dramatic, amazing things to get them out of slavery. That old home, that shackled home that they wanted to get rid of. Now they're free of it. And God leads them miraculously through the wilderness all the way down to the mountain of Sinai. He provides them food. He provides them water. He's building up trust, getting to know the people. Mount Sinai, he actually comes down and meets them in person and speaks his actual voice. And they're terrified, right? But God wants to know these people. He doesn't want to just save them, and he doesn't want to just lead them. He wants to live with them, and he wants to know them. And so he introduces himself to them. And he says there's a certain minimal thing that it's going to be required. If we're going to be in relationship, you've got to honor certain things. And he gives them the Ten Commandments. But as, Mount, as, as Moses is up on that mountain getting those Ten Commandments, that's not the only thing he's doing. There's meticulous detail of six chapters of the most boring literature in the history of the planet where God gives this blueprint. If you are a, yeah, it looks just like that. Can you imagine listening to five hours of a sermon on this diagram? If you're an architect, you might go, that sounds so exciting. You're a Gary James or something, you know? But for me, it sounds terrible. But that's what these six chapters are. Six long, boring, blueprint, detailed chapters. But it's essential. It's essential because God says, if I'm going to live among you, it's got to be exactly the way I want it. And so he shows them. That's what the text says. He shows them. I just want you to look back for a minute. Exodus chapter 25, verse 40. This is interesting because I don't know how God did it. 25 verse 40 and see to it that you make them after the pattern which is being shown you on the mountain it says God showed the pattern to Moses on how did God show a show him the pattern how did he do it I see an ancient video projector projecting off the clouds and he sees this tabernacle I don't know but it says God didn't tell him it says God showed him he gives him this image and that's what he does. But there's a bit of a snafu, right? You remember this? This little golden calf episode. You remember that? Nearly sabotaged the whole thing. God canceled the order. Forget the tabernacle. I don't need it. I'm not going with you after all. Y'all just, I'll put an angel hovering above you and that's going to be it. And it was almost like the end of the whole deal. But somehow Moses interceded and God decided to change his mind and go back to that original plan. And the people are so ecstatic about it, they give liberally. The one liberal thing that should be in the church is you're given, church. That should be the liberal thing. And they did. And then we're provided once again the deja vu six chapters of total boredom. God shows them again and in fact gives them the details again so that they can build it exactly. God has to have it a certain way. The measurements are exact, the materials are exact, the colors are exact, everything. The clothing worn by the high priest is exact, and you get the summary statement at chapter 39, verses 32 to 43, and it ends, right? Moses did everything God commanded him. Chapter 40. Feels like August about 10th on ASU campus. All these cars come packed to the hilt with the stuff that's going to be needed for the semester. And you unload it and you walk up eight floors of stairs and you get to, your, get to set up your, your dorm room and these U-Hauls back up and all these people with all this stuff. They're delivering all the goods to build up and finally get this house set up. 
God's right there directing everything. Now, I don't know who would direct the furniture placement at your house. I don't care. Melissa would be the one to direct all these movers. And there's God in, in chapter 40, verses 1 through 9. Here's where the furniture goes, and he's very meticulous. Here's where the furniture goes. Then verses 9 through 11, we're going to consecrate everything. We're going to anoint it with oil and set it apart for a purpose. And then verses 12 through th- 15, the high priest gets dressed, and he dresses exactly like God showed Moses on the mountain. He's supposed to be dressed, and they anoint him for service and his sons. Moses did everything exactly as God said. And it said, God, he set it all up in the second year, first month, first day, which means exactly one year after leaving Egypt, it's time for God to finally live among his people. And apparently God was pleased because he moves in. The cloud descends and goes into the tabernacle. I'm taking it, tent of meeting and tabernacle, the same thing. And even Moses, as close as he is to God, Moses can't even go in there. God's moving in, and he's sitting in all the furniture, and he's taking things in, and he's looking at it all, and he says, I will live here. And he becomes a cloud at daytime, and he becomes a fire at night. And when he moves, the people move, and when he stays, the people stay. God has moved in. Exodus is finally wrapped up. What in the world does this have to say to New Testament believers? Those of us gathered on a Sunday night, post-cross. What's that have to say to us? I can think of a couple of things. We New Covenant people are not tabernacle people. We don't have a tabernacle. We don't have a temple even. We be the temple, and we assembled are the temple, but we don't have this. And, and what about like a, a priesthood? We don't have a priesthood in the same sense. We have a high priest right now serving for us, and the capital H, Holy of Holies, But what's this mean? I can think of a couple of things. One is God is particular about where he dwells. And if God dwells in us, we need to know this, a principle from the Old Testament that while it's in the Old Testament, still exists in the New. He's very particular about where he dwells. He doesn't just go anywhere. He doesn't go anywhere where people don't want him. He is very particular about what is set up in the house he dwells in. He is like an OCD cousin who comes once a year about Christmas. It's the one time a year you actually shake the dust off the top of the blades of your ceiling fans. It's where you look around and say, you remember where you put all those cups and those empty uh, Dr. Pepper cans. You've let them sit there and mold for months, but now it's time to get them because that cousin is going to go around the house looking for them. And he doesn't want to just stay in any house. God's specific. He was very detailed about the tabernacle, right? I showed you a picture, Moses, and I expect it to look like this. Now, we've debated in our brotherhood, but here's the absolute truth. The Holy Spirit of God takes up dwelling in you. And he's particular. It's not anything goes. Let me... Run by a couple of texts here, you're going to see on the screen. The language of particular, God's particular language. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. These Christian, Christians at Corinth were thinking, it's okay to go to a prostitute. I don't know who in the world as a Christian would think of that, but they were still thinking their old life. They were thinking, my old life isn't changed all that much. Listen to how Paul describes it. He says, don't you know? 
When he says, don't you know, it means you should know. Don't you know, right? Your bodies are members of Christ. He's living in you. You can't take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute. Can you do it? No. Don't you know that he unites himself with a prostitute is one with her, right, in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Next scream. So flee from sexual immorality. All their sins a person commits are sins outside the body, but he who sins sexual sins against his own body. Do you not know? There it is again. Don't you know? Don't you, your parents ever say that to you? Don't you know? It means you should. This is what you should know already. This is your new identity. Don't you know? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. You aren't your own. You're bought at a price. So honor God with you. Guys, listen, he's living. Do you get this? You can't just do this here. You can't just do anything you want in these bodies. God's living here. You've got a new person in there. There's, there's another. Once you see this in Ephesians chapter 5, it's in red this time. Those aren't the words of Christ. That's words of emphasis for me. He doesn't speak in Ephesians, right? But among you, there must not be even a hint you know what a hint is? What's a hint? I've stumped you all, right? Ephesians. There, there can't be even residue. There can't even be an idea of. There can't even be a fleeting, momentous thought. You, you, there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are what? Improper. Do you know what improper means? It doesn't belong here. That's what he's saying. It doesn't belong in for God's holy people. You're God's holy people, so there's some things that don't belong. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or court. Listen, he says, I don't want you even joking about sexual things. I believe he's serious. I believe Christians living in this world right now, as tough as it is, have no business engaging in sexual immorality or joking about it or laughing about it or speaking of things they should not do because they are out of place. You get this? You know what out of place means? It just doesn't belong. That language is so interesting. He says the fact that God lives in you means there's so many things that the rest of the world does you can't do because you have an extra resident who lives here. So there's this picture. I want you to see it. Yeah. One of these things is not like the because Some of these things do not belong. A lawnmower. You see a picture and there's a lawnmower in a bathroom. It just doesn't belong. But notice like the first line. Which of those doesn't belong? The tree. Why? Because everything else is a mode of transportation and a tree doesn't move. It doesn't belong. And what God is saying to us in the New Testament is he's saying, listen, once I take up living in you, there's a lot of things that the world considers normal that you've got to circle and say, this doesn't belong in here. This doesn't belong in here. There's somebody who lives here. There's other rules of this. There's a couple weeks, a week and a half ago or something like that, the young professionals went and did like a progressive dinner thing. And they went to three different houses and they were meticulously decorated. Norma Turner's house, just like spotless in there. 
uh, the Carltons, spotless in there. We went to the Gibson's house, spotless in there. We even went into Isabella and Alexandra's room. They have their own Christmas tree. That is obnoxious. Imagine having to decorate it. They had like eight trees in their house, but I've always wanted to go because I know he puts the lights on there. And they had, we walked in their room and it was like a, a, it used to do better homes and gardens. Now it would be HGTV. They could go in there and film their house. It looked spotless. Everything belonged perfect. And I looked at both of them when I was in the room and I said, we were all kind of gathered there. I said, does it look this way all the time? <laughs> what do you think? She rolled her eyes and said, well, no. Mom just said you were coming over and we had to get ready for you. When you realize certain people are coming, you get ready for it, don't you? You know what repentance is? Repent and be baptized. Repentance is start getting ready. We're moving somebody else in. God says, I don't just live anywhere. I don't take up residence just anywhere. I don't allow just anything. I'm pretty OCD. God is particular. But there's a second thing I want you to know. I skipped the first Thessalonians passage because Paul told me to keep it short tonight. Second thing, <laughs> and you think I'm kidding, I'm not. Second thing is this, that when God moves in, he takes over. He's not a very good guest, and I've said this before, and it's illustrated again. So people now move in, and when he moves in, he starts saying what, what they need to do. He, he says, when I move, you move. And when I stay, you stay. There's certain comfort about this. You ever really rack your brain and go, should I move to this town? Should I go to this college? Should I do this major? Should I take this job? Wouldn't it be wonderful if all you had to do is look up in the cloud above your head and it starts moving and it takes you to Searcy or Jonesboro or it takes you to some? It'd be nice if God led that way. I would love that. I wouldn't have had such consternation just making a 50-mile trip over here. Well, the cloud just lifted. We need to get. That would be really nice, right? God, when he takes over, he says, okay, now that I live among you, I'm leading you. He's a lousy guest because he moves in and then he takes over. And when you have a relationship, when you have a master and a dog, when you have a dog and a master, who's the one who gives the orders and who's the one who obeys? The master gives the order and the dog obeys. God's the master, we're the dog. And it's sort of like, I move in and I'm telling you, this is how you live. You move here, you live here, you don't go there, stay, right? This language in the New Testament I think is like the step language. Watch this one, this passage right here. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that they do not do, uh, you, you cannot do whatever you want, right? You cannot seem to do what you want. He's saying, I want you to look. When you're in a situation and you're, and you're trying to figure out what to do, look for the Spirit's steps. And walk in the steps of the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit in Galatians. He's saying, I'm telling you, I'm giving you instructions about where to walk. My cloud is right there. Go, walk in the steps of my, my Spirit that I've given you that dwells in you. Here's another one. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
So God said, I'm leading you. I'm leading you by the example of my son in scripture, but he's also, listen, it's not just, I know this can be controversial to some people, it's not just scripture that guides you, it's his Holy Spirit. That's what makes us new covenant believers as opposed to old covenant believers. We have God's special personal trainer dwelling in us, trying to direct us. And you know what happens? When he's trying to direct us and we say, no, I want to go my own way, it's called quenching. It's called grieving the Holy Spirit. Here's one other image I want you to see from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. He says the race is already marked. You ever do a 5K? They mark it with spray paint on the asphalt or the concrete. That's where you're supposed to go. And God says, I want you to know, I've marked out where I want you to go. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You know what the pioneer does? You're going through this jungle and this build-up stuff in a dangerous territory, and the pioneer goes before, and he takes the cuts, and he takes the scrapes, and he takes that machete, and he clears off a path, and he says, now you don't have to go off-roading, and you don't have to discover where you need to go. All you have to do is follow the path I made for you. God takes up residence, and then he seeks to lead. And you don't have to forge your own path. You just have to look for the steps that he laid out for you already through his spirit. God is particular. He does move his Holy Spirit into the life of the believer to maintain the way of life that God expects. But even this is particular when the people hearing that first gospel sermon say, what must we do? Paul says, repent. Before all move in, you got to repent. You got to decide that you're no longer calling the shots. I'm not going to move into a place where you're still wanting to oversee it. So if you're wanting me to move in, you've got to repent. And if you won't repent, don't bother asking me. So he says, repent. And then he says, I want you to be immersed. I want you to wash away that sin and that stain from the past. So now you've given me the ownership of your house and you've cleansed that house with the waters of baptism. Now, now what I'll do after I've, since I've forgiven you is I'm going to move in now. And I can't move in where there's sin and I can't move in where there's free will that you use that you're going to do what you want. You've got to yield your will, repent, and then you've got to wash the place up, baptism, and then my Holy Spirit will come in and take up residence. By the way, Elise Mooney did that this morning. After you all left, she was a little bit creeped out by large crowds. But she's been telling me for weeks, she'd, been, she'd go by me as she left. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close, but I'm nervous about people. And I said, don't worry about people. We'll wait till they leave if you want us to. So she did. This place was empty. But she gave her life to Christ and her sins were washed away. And the Holy Spirit took up residence in her life. And you have a new sister in Christ. That's a cool thing. It's a great thing to be part of that. And she's a sweetheart. She is an absolute sweetheart. And when you see her next Sunday, I'm going to embarrass the far out of her because I'm going to say, you got away from people last week, but you ain't getting away another week. It ain't happening, right? Let's be a group of people who want God to move in because I'm going to tell you, move-in day feels good because you know what? You finally feel at home. You finally feel where you belong because in this life, you will never be anything like at home 
until God takes up residence in you. And then he leads you to the place where he lives and you take up residence with him for eternity. You can't do that right now. You can't do that right now. But the closest you can come to it is to invite him into your life. To be willing to yield up allegiance to him and clean that house up and let him live there. He wants to, but he won't demand it of you. He won't come in by invasion. He simply comes in by invitation. But when he comes in by invitation, he starts taking over. But everybody I know that does it, who has move-in day and all the stress and strain and all the turnover and all the boxes, they still look back at move-in day with great delight and nostalgia because it was the day they moved into their home and it became home. And only then... Despite all that trouble, will it be home? And I tell you what, we'll have people request every once in a while. Can we have some people over at this address to help people move in, move out, or whatever? I want you to know we would love to stick around and help you move in if you've decided it's move-in day in your life. We'd love to help you. We'd love to witness it with you and celebrate it with you. If there's anyone here who's yet to invite God into your life to move in and make his home yours and yours his. We'd love to help you with that as we stand and as we sing.